Today's episode is brought to you by Anchorfish Printing. Hey, are you thinking about starting up that band, label, or distro? Or maybe you already have one and you need some merch. Anchorfish Printing has been taking care of bands for over 15 years. I can speak from personal experience. When Touche Amore started, Michael at Anchorfish was our guy for shirts, hoodies, patches, back patches, anything uh, that you know you could put ink on material for, he can take care of. Check out their uh, Instagram over at anchorfish underscore printing right now and mention the first ever podcast and receive 10% off your order. Hit them up for shirts, hats, stickers, anything you can really think of and be on your way. Welcome to the first ever podcast. I am your host, Jeremy Bohm. If this is your first time here, this is a show where I interview artists of all kinds about the first experiences in their art form that led them to where they are today. My guest this week is Frank Iero from My Chemical Romance and uh, a lot of solo work too. Um, this is an awesome conversation. I'm really excited this got to happen. I am coming to you currently from Orlando, Florida in a little tiny um, backstage room that was uh, so kindly offered to me to use to record this um, because the venue next door is empty. Um, So shout out to uh, The Social for making this possible. Um, I sound a little rougher than usual. I did not sleep very well last night. Uh, We had a long drive from Houston to Orlando. Since you're hearing this on a Wednesday, tonight we're going to be in Columbia, South Carolina at the New Brooklyn Tavern. Tonight is sold out. The next day we, or actually two days later on the 18th, we're going to be playing in uh, Washington, D.C. at the Black Cat, then in Philadelphia at Union Transfer, followed by New York City at Irving Plaza. Really, really having a great time on this tour. It's Touche Amore in vain, and we're about to meet up with Military Gun and Closer, who are joining the tour, followed by Military Gun and Scowl. You can check out the dates over at toucheamore.com slash tour for more info. Also, I'd like to remind you that there's a bonus episode with Frank Iero, which is available right now over on the Patreon. If you hit up patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon, you can hear that episode now and get a backlog of so much stuff, bonus episodes, bonus radio hours, all sorts of stuff. And in the bonus episode with Frank, he answers questions that were submitted by subscribers and they're good. They're, they're really, really good. Frank was a wonderful, wonderful guest. We recorded this a couple weeks ago, just before I left for tour. And uh, But before we get there, I would like to shout out one of my favorite sponsors, Discovered Magazine. Discovered is an international print counterculture magazine encompassing the best of music, art, skateboarding, and anything with a punk ethos. Listeners get 10% off a yearly subscription using the code FIRSTEVER, spelled out, when you visit store.dscvrd.co. And hey, if you are a vinyl collector, they have some limited vinyl variants specifically for Discovered. You can get the new Drug Church record, Hygiene, which is limited to 300. You can get the CU Space Cowboy record, The Romance Affliction, limited to 300. And the new Comeback Kid, Heavy Steps, also limited to 300. So if you're a vinyl person, hit up store.dscvrd.co. 
I think that's it for me. Um, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Frank is awesome. They just announced a tour. Tickets are on sale for that. They have so many great support bands supporting them as well, including Turnstile, Soul Glow, Nothing, Thursday. Just look at it. It's crazy. They, they, uh, it shows their great taste in music. All right, here we go. Enjoy this conversation with Frank Iero. Absolutely fantastic. And Frank, <laughs> this is what a what a what an awesome first time getting to to hang out with you. I mean, we've been internet yeah. friends now for a minute, but this is our first actual, you know, kind of face-to-face <laughs> conversation. Agreed. Yeah, I like this. It's nice to actually see your face and talk to you. I, yeah, 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 totally. How's uh, how, I mean, you're in the afternoon. I'm I'm still in the morning here. How's your day oh, so far? Right. So far, so good. I actually I was out west. Um, I just got back, and uh, and yesterday was was completely just me trying to get some sort of sleep back because the kids had off. So that was nice. So I, I had to wake up and do lunches again today, and that was okay. I was I'm back on my schedule finally. But yeah. tonight is a weird one because I'm taking uh, the kids to go see Billie Eilish. And they're wow. very excited. Yes. Yeah. They're very, very excited. How old are your kids? Uh, so I have twin girls that are 11. And wow. my little boy, he's nine. He's going to be 10 uh, in April. So Okay. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So, yes. so, yeah, a lot of personality going on. Yes. <laughs> like, a lot of personality. <laughs> yeah. And my son's like, because I was like, oh, do you want to come to the show tonight? He was like, ah. He's like, Dad, I like Iron Maiden. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I was like, no. I know, but like, you know, like it's gonna be really fun. Like, it's a, it's she writes cool songs and she's like, she's pretty. Like, you might want to go. She's like, he's like, is there gonna be snacks? <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'll get you a pretzel, dude. <laughs> yeah, that that's it's funny. That's kind of me as a kid, but like with going to a sports game. Where I was like, I, I was like, I don't really care about sports, but like, what's talk to me about the cotton candy? Let's, let's exactly, talk about yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Try to touch on my interests. <laughs> yeah, the uh, this is by no means like I hope people who are listening are like telling me I'm an asshole for this, but like the other day, um, someone someone from Patreon hit me up and said, "Hey, we have these extra tickets to to go see Casey Musgraves. We're doing like this big, um, like thing for the people who are a part of the platform." And uh, would you would you like to come? And I was like, I I got to be honest, I don't listen to Casey Musgraves. Yeah. And like, I feel like that's a wasted ticket for someone who's going to really appreciate that. But I, I'm in your son's shoes right there where I'm like, <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. probably, it's probably a really fun show to see. I'm, I know she's a talented person, but I was like, I right. just feel bad. Like it's someone else would appreciate this more than me. <laughs> yeah. He's, yeah. It's definitely going to go over his head a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> I imagine. Cause like his interests are, are like, like distinctive. They're like very specific. It's Pokemon. Iron Maiden and like uh, Teen Titans, like those are the that's his world. You know what I mean? Like yeah. nothing else. It kind of infiltrates it, uh, other than snacks, really. So right. so snacks are the other. That's the gateway. <laughs> what's What's really funny and kind of adorable is I just revisited uh, uh, Dan Ozzy's chapter on your band, and like from the description of a lot of you guys when you were kids, it sounds like your son is definitely one of you. <laughs> Like, <laughs> yeah, being he's an right Iron, on the path. Yeah, like Iron Maiden fan, like uh-huh. Iron Maiden fan, and then also into like comic-y type stuff. So the Pokemon thing fits completely in there. Hundred percent. Yeah. Hundred wow. yeah. percent. Yeah. yeah. There's yeah. There's no. Uh, <laughs> there's no debate whether he's mine. Like you know what I mean? Like yeah, he's he's way way into like the groove of things. It's kind of funny. 
It's perfect. It's perfect. <laughs> um, so you're, I mean, this is obvious question. You're from New Jersey originally, right? I am. Yes. Born and raised. Born and raised. He's part? not though. He was born in California. <laughs> is that right? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Okay. He'll, he you, likes to remind us of that too. <laughs> yeah. But see, were you living out here for a while? I was. I think collectively, I was probably, I probably lived in LA around like four years. Um, okay. And yeah. One of when which you- was when he was born. And what part of LA were you in? I was in like WeHo, okay, uh, like West Hollywood. Yeah, 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 and yeah. I think that's also though kind of like like I love it there. I love to visit there, and like if I if I come into town, like that's normally probably where I'll stay and shit. Like I have friends that live around there, and it's it's yeah. just I know what, what's around there. But um, I think that's also why I got burned out real quick on it, and and didn't want to actually like raise a family there. You know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you moved <laughs> to the like arguably the most congested part where it's like, oh, totally, yeah, <laughs> it's like, yeah, definitely very hard <laughs> to get in and out of there. There's no like, there's no good freeway to get in and out of there. Like, yeah, you no, were there's in not. The, you were in the and shit. I, I think that was the thing too. Like, and and it was like my main complaint was like, motherfuckers, like I gotta like set a, a day aside to go to CVS. Like, really, and and pay for parking. Like, fuck you, dude. I. <laughs> You know, like, I i can't, I can't do that. I can't yeah. plan that far ahead that like, oh, I might need to get a prescription and toilet paper and I can't do anything for three days because that, that's my goal. You know what I mean? 1,000. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> uh, uh, parking in general in that area. It's like, well, I guess uh, I'm not having friends over. <laughs> no, ever. And no one will visit you. No ever. one will. <laughs> no one no. will visit you. Yo, you might as well tell them that you live in Wisconsin because they're not driving. <laughs> they're yeah, not driving of- a half hour to get you. One of my best friends, um, who lived, who like was from Orange County, he moved to, uh, to like basically on the corner of like Mid City Beverly Hills, and Ugh. was like, I'm in LA now, and I was like, I'm gonna be honest, <laughs> dri- like driving to your place is gonna take just as long as me driving to Orange County to see you. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's, really, it's and that's the thing, deal. dude. I didn't really realize it until I guess I got older and like became an adult. It was like, you know, this collection of of Los Angeles friends. Like they all want to tell you, like, oh man, what are you doing? Like everybody's out here. Like just come out here and live here, and then you never see those motherfuckers again if you move to the wrong neighborhood. It's straight up. <laughs> That's yeah. the thing. Yeah, they will yeah. not come see you. <laughs> yeah, I I have friends that like live out by LAX, and I was like, yeah, unless you're yeah. coming out here, man, I'll see you eventually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll wave at you if I have to go to the airport. That's straight about up. It. Straight yeah. up. Um. So let me ask you this. When you were young, what was the first thing that you connected with musically that felt like it was yours? Like maybe not something your parents were playing, but something that like you discovered. Right. Well, that yeah. So, all right. So growing up, my dad was a drummer. My grandfather was a drummer. So I was around music all the time. Like that was just the pastime, you know? Um, they would like some kids get asked like, Oh, how was school and stuff like that? Like that was the secondary question. It was always like, Oh, you, have you been playing? Have you practicing? You know, who are you playing with? You start the band. So I, I got exposed to a lot of stuff early on, but the first thing I think that I found that was like, Oh man, like, you know, this is mine. And, and it directly translated. Cause my dad was like in a blues band. Right. And he loved like old school blues and, and, and these recordings of like, you know, just a guy in a room with one microphone, like everybody kind of standing around the microphone and and really like a DIY scene, right, of, of musicians and, and, and music. And I found that in like punk rock and hardcore, like listening to 
uh, I think it, it really it probably the first recordings were like, you know, like Misfits recordings and Bouncing Souls recordings and stuff like that. And finding out that these guys were like from my state making music, you know, very bare bones, like uh, really essentially DIY. Like I, I, I took that correlation. I was like, oh, well, this is that was his punk rock and this is mine. You know? Right. And uh, so like that was that was the first thing I think was having mixtapes made for me, um, like probably as soon as I got into high school, you know, being like yeah. 12 going on 13. So basically like classmates uh, were already yes. into it and made that for you and, and kind of showed yeah. you the path. Yes, I, I think uh, I, I may have had like a like a Nirvana patch or something on my book bag going in and there was a kid. Uh, and I, at that point, like, you know, so the gateway is Nirvana and then you go to Sonic Youth and then Meat Puppets and stuff like that. So like I was going down that line, right, getting more closer to like West Coast uh, punk rock and like that that type of scene, scratch acid and stuff like that. Anything that any shirt that Kurt wore, basically, you would like go and like research the band and then figure it out. Uh, and so like I had that like a, a backpack with patches on it. And a senior in the high school saw me and I knew that he was like kind of into stuff too, because like he was wearing like a plaid jacket and a fucking bow tie. And like, he was like, you know, I was like, all right, something, (laughs) this dude's, this dude's either like, you know, like, uh, like the principal or, or he's like a kid that's like into punk rock. So he like, he was like, yo, you like punk rock. And immediately, you know, if somebody asked you that, that's older, you say, yeah. Like, I'm not, yeah. So uh, he's like, I want to make you some mixtapes. And then he dropped off a few at my locker. And uh, and then later that year, we started a band. Oh, that wow. Was, that was it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, I'm, I have to assume you and I are very close in age. I was born in 83. What, what, what are you? 81. 81. There you go. Yeah this, yeah. this totally makes sense. And I was the same as you with like, um, I felt like anytime you saw Kurt or any of the other band members wearing a shirt, you were just like, well, absolutely i have to I have to somehow find out what that is yeah um, what yeah what's dinosaur jr what's sonic youth what's uh you know any any kind of correlation that came through there you know and then then through that you through you find out about black flag and then black flag leads you to to misfits and then Misfits leads you to, to new york and new jersey hardcore and that was it i was off running did you have uh a record store like within your area that you could rely on for that stuff Yes. And and those were, it was far and few between, right? Like I remember one time my dad took me into the city to like, you know, we're, Oh, we're going to go to a a play or something like that. But there's also Virgin mega store at that time in times square. So like you go in there and all these bands that you heard of, they had the records there. I was like, fuck. And then I think, uh, as I started to go through, through high school, then I found out about, um, generation records and, and, and things on bleaker. And so my dad would like take me down there and I ended up starting to like, amass a little bit of a collection but there was a store called let it rock in montclair um that was like the local like punk rock shop and there was a and the guy that worked there he eventually uh went on to like uh i think he he started a a bar that i ended up playing down the line but he he was it was him sitting at like this little desk with a cat with one fucking eye and i remember like when you walk in the store and immediately like the cat was judging you and he was judging you and like all the records had like these snarky like fucking descriptions on them yeah yeah like you know like you know uh if you don't know this band then just go home and listen to your green day record you fucking poser like like stuff (laughs) like that you know what i mean so like anything you look through that like look kind of cool like you felt like a dickhead if you didn't know what it was or didn't have it already 
So, uh, you know, you would spend whatever money you could scrub together and, and buy a CD that week. And, uh, yeah. and I got really good at like reading liner notes, finding other bands and like having a, a pretty good, uh, idea based on covers. What I think, what I thought I would like, you know what I mean? <laughs> or like right. what I should be into that week. What's super funny, which <clears throat> which comes up a lot on the show with like especially people in our age range is like, you know, you have your allowance or something like that. And then mm-hmm. you buy a CD. You just take a chance on a CD. You're like, well, I hope this one's good. And <laughs> I, I am nostalgic for a time where you would buy a CD that might end up being a dud. But you're uh-huh. like, I'm going to just keep listening to it because I've spent my money on it. I have <laughs> exactly. to like it. Like I, I got to get my money's worth. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. yeah. And I was, I was yeah. trying to, I was trying to think of some of those situations. Uh, do you, are any, do any of those come to mind for you? Like where you're like, oh, what, what's, what's yeah. one of those? Um, uh, oh, geez. All right. What's this? Uh, the, oh, uh, the seven seconds record with the, just the radio on it. Like I, I wanted like, uh, walk with this rock with this, but I didn't, it didn't have it in stock and I got the one with the radio on it. And I was like, oh, I don't know if I like this. And then there was a couple of degeneration records that like were hard for me to get into. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I feel yeah. like it's especially a lot of the, uh, the, the punk stuff, like, because the eighties, uh, to the nineties, um, there's a lot of sonic changes that happen in there yes. with what was like popular. So people, that's the, uh, the music, the message record. Yeah. That, yes. which came out, yes. which came out in 90, yes. 95, which totally makes sense because it's like, it, it reminds me of the same thing of like, it's a weird, <clears throat> it's a weird, uh, uh, analogy or whatever, but like with the same way country artists or folk artists, um, in the sixties and seventies then had to somehow try to adapt in the eighties. And it got fucking weird where there's like, weird, <laughs> yeah. there's like, they're obviously electric. There's like maybe some weird synth going on. And you're like, yeah. I don't, are you ready for some football? Yeah, exactly. yeah. Hey, Turn into that shit. Yeah, exactly. So, so yeah, I feel like a lot of like the, the eighties punk stuff in the nineties, you might get some really interesting records, but definitely not often the best material. No. And also like, you know, you're 13, like you're not the most open-minded person in the entire world. Like you, you've now, you know, you've gotten three mixtapes and now you're the gatekeeper of punk rock. And you're like, this shit's, this shit ain't fucking punk rock. This sucks. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, like immediately, you know? Yeah. 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 Or like, so. you, or maybe you heard one record and then you heard that one. You're like, is this even the same band? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Totally. Totally. <laughs> um that's awesome so uh what was the first concert you went to first concert was uh like big concert or like 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 punk rock like went to to the bar pretended i was of age kind of give me both give me both okay so uh the first like big show that i bought a ticket for was uh stone temple pilots uh meat puppets and jawbox and Jawbox fucking blew my mind. And I feel like that was like the moment of like, cause I, I, I think I was in eighth grade at that wow. time. And, wow. and you know, like you're hearing stuff on the radio and you don't really know much, but you know, like little things that like, you know, maybe older siblings uh, of your friends have told you, um, and, and, or looking at t-shirts that bands wear. And, and that was a big thing too, like liner notes and, and who's going on tour with who. Right. But like going to see that show and thinking you're in for one thing and then all of a sudden coming out with like, I bought a, a Jawbox t-shirt. Like that was that the only merch I got from that show was a Jawbox t-shirt and that was it. And, and then I wow. ran to the record store. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was like, that was fucking huge. Um, the, 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 the show that I, I, I like snuck out of the house 
<laughs> and and convinced that my mom was like, oh, I'm going to probably like, oh, I'm going to go play basketball at my friend's house. Uh, was Weston and the Bouncing Souls at um, what do you call it? um the Pipeline in Newark, New Jersey? Okay, and that was like for us, like the Pipeline was that was the place to go. It, you know, if you weren't going to CBs or going to the city to see a see a show, like that was the place. Studio One a little bit too, but that was a little bit later on. And then sometimes it would turn into like a weird like you know, like dance club like <laughs> right. on the weekends. So that was a little strange. But like the pipeline was like there was like dudes fighting each other in the front and nobody really cared. And like, you know, like <laughs> yeah. You you had no ID, but like they still let you in. You could have a beer if you weren't too crazy about it. Like it was yeah. awesome. And I was like and I was thirteen at that show. And right. lot like my first taste of you know what what shows would be like and and how cool it was that like you know these were just kind of kids getting up on stage and playing right yeah i was gonna say like how did you uh come to know about those bands like were you aware that they were locals i was and 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 weston came from uh from the same guy in my high school his name was john mcguire and that's who i ended up starting my band with um and he was a huge weston fan and he had he had like an older neighbor down the street that would like, you know, trade him him mixtapes and and give him CDs and stuff like that. And he was like, oh, you know, there's this band, The Fiends from New Jersey that I'm going to see. You should come with me. Or there's this, you know, The Souls are great. You you would really like Maniacal Laughter here. Listen to this, or you know, like the band after countless bands. Right? He's the yeah. one that like got me into Jawbreaker and things of that nature. Right? So, yeah. so that was the first like show that had come up after we had actually become friends and he knew that i i actually listened to the mixtapes that he made me and he was like oh shit all right you actually like this all right you should come to the show with me you know uh it's you know next weekend the bouncing souls and, and western are playing i was like oh okay and like wrote those down I was like oh those are my favorite bands now all right cool yeah like, <laughs> that's how it started so yeah. uh yeah but like he and he knew like he knew dave from weston and uh and so like after the show like they were talking stuff like that and that was like the first time i was like that I realized that there wasn't this like rock star barrier anymore either. You know, like bands would play and they would be in the room with you. And if you knew them, you talked and, and it wasn't like a fucking weird, you know, like sunglasses on with like security guards, like walking through the front to the stage. Right. Yeah. And I, that's one of those things that I, I feel like once you discover like the local punk shows or like the DIY shows or, or things like that, like um, that, uh, always feel you know like whenever it comes up a conversation it always feels like a fun talking point where like if you went from seeing some type of pilots you know um and and that, a show that size and then you go see a show that is that intimate you know often not with the stage and things like that and you get to just like you could just like talk to someone in the band like there is such a uh, it, it's almost confusing the first time you really it feel is. that we're like i'm what i was just standing next to that guy watching the band and now he's on stage playing like it's that easy you can just do that <laughs> and that know? was the thing right man like and like from that moment you know starting to find out about like local vfw hall shows and stuff like that like oh you know you could pay four dollars or you bring a can of food you know like starting to realize that like oh shit like people are putting these things on and this is like this isn't so far off like you don't need to be some guitar virtuoso or like you know or 40 years old to like get up on the stage and fucking play like yeah i can do this as a kid with my friends that was that blew my goddamn mind 
Yeah. 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 So, uh, when did you, so am I right to say that I think I saw that, did you start playing drums first? Was that the first instrument you played? I did. Yeah. Yeah. That was even before any of these shows and stuff like that. By this time I was already playing guitar. Okay. So yeah. But Uh, yeah, that my first band I I played drums in. Yeah. Okay. What was, and, uh, well, let's start with the, with drums. So what was that like a hand me down from your, from, uh, from from my grandparent? Yeah. Oh yeah. So my dad. He put he pieced together a set for me and uh, and yeah at that point too like I, you know I was I was taking drum lessons from him and his guitar player in his band was teaching me a little bit of guitar um, but the first person that I met was like in Little League he was this guy named Matt and he he played guitar and we were like oh we're gonna start a band and so uh, and so we did and he's like well we can't both play guitar so you better play drums <laughs> and uh, like, shit all right yep. bye. It's funny how much like junior high and high school bands start that way, where it's just like, oh, totally. well, listen, yeah. well, listen, man, hey, I already got a bass, so <laughs> it seems like you're going to have to either be the singer or the drummer. <laughs> yeah, dude. It's like squatter's rights on all that yes. shit. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, well, I'm, I'm sorry, man. I'm already holding the guitar. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Where it's like, well, you have to ask your parents for that drum set for Christmas because you, you've, you know, if you want to be a part of this. Totally. Um, yeah. And then when did you start playing guitar? Um, <laughs> well, I start playing guitar because I, one, I wanted to write songs. And my dad, you know, had a had a friend in his band that played guitar, and so like he was teaching me stuff, and I was like, ah, I like it. But then immediately told everybody that I played guitar in, in school, right? So like seventh do. grade, yeah, as you do. So then the next year, I guess, like seventh grade to eighth grade, there was a the graduation ceremony, and the music teacher. Uh, one day asked the class, like, does anyone play guitar? Because we're going to we're gonna sing this song, but I would love to have a like, guitar accompaniment. And of course, my, my friend next to me was like, oh, yeah, Frank plays guitar. And I was like, motherfucker. <laughs> so I had to, like, then learn how to play guitar to not seem like a fucking liar. <laughs> yep. I, yeah. So that's what I did. And I got, like, you know, I got, like, tab books. And every time, like, there would be uh, accords, like, at the top of the page, right, showing you. Had had to like you know play the chord that was used in the song. I would learn all those chords and then correlate with to the piece of music that we had to learn for the thing. And so you know I learned a G chord and then I learned E and then I learned D and and I learned A and I was like all right and I started to play that song and then I had those chords and and then I just start kind of bouncing back and forth and before I knew it like I was just you know writing shitty little songs based on the four chords that I knew and it was so fun that. I was like, oh man, like I've just had this guitar and like, you know, I would take lessons with this guy and it really wasn't connecting, but I would take it and play in front of the mirror to the songs that I liked. I was like, well, how cool would it be if I actually knew how to play these songs? And the fact that I learned those four chords, like it gave me confidence that I could, I could do it. So I just started to learn more, more and more chords and stuff like that and start, started writing songs from there. And that's, you know, how I started my first band. Today's episode is brought to you by Death Wish Inc. For 20 years, Deathwish has been the go-to label for emerging punk and hardcore. That continues today with their recent releases from scene staples and promising newcomers such as Modern Life is War, Greet Death, Chastity, Converge, Frail Body, and more. Get 10% off all Deathwish music and merch in their store using the link deathwishinc.com slash the first ever, which automatically applies the discount and filters the site for only items included. Again, that is 10% off all Deathwish releases and merch when you visit deathwishinc.com slash the first ever. Have you checked out those new Greek death songs? Jesus, that band is good. Start there. 
<laughs> what was the name of that band? The name of that band was Fountainhead. That's and that's a, only that's it's not bad. Not, Thank you. I appreciate it. The only reason yeah. it was because we needed a name and like we like flipped pages in a book and landed on it. And I think it was like the Ayn Rand book. It was like, oh, the Fountainhead. Yeah. We'll, we'll, and I wrote it on the drum head. And then I think that was the last practice we ever had. And then it just said Fountainhead on the drum for like years after that. It's 100 percent the the most I just started a band thing to do. It's like it's yes, like when yes. you when you get a guitar, you're like, I don't know how to play it yet, but check out all these stickers I got for it. Yeah. Totally. Yes. Um I love that. Okay. So then um so now you're playing guitar and then uh-huh. uh you're you're learning how to write songs, things like that. What's that first band? Is that uh the Sector 12 band? So no. no but okay. good uh, good on you for <laughs> even knowing yeah. what that is. Yeah. So this the first band that, and this was the first band that played shows was a band we called it Steve Weil and the Disco Kings and it was the guy that the the guy that I met the first day of of high school who made me the mixtapes he named the band because his friend was named Steve Weil and there was no Steve Weil on the band and we played like you know like shitty punk rock and he thought it was really funny to name the band after somebody that wasn't in it off a musical genre that we didn't play. Of and course. it was one of those things that were like, okay, <laughs> like I'd never been in a band before, so I didn't really care. And then we played like two shows, and I was like, this name really sucks, dude. Like, we need to figure this out. And I remember him like kind of being upset about it. And then we changed the name to <laughs> this is awful. Then we changed the name to Hybrid, H Y B R I D. And then we booked a show at the, like the town fair in the town next to me. And we played this like flatbed truck in the middle of the street, and they made flyers for the, like the bands that were playing that day. And I remember we were so excited, like, oh my God, our name's in print. We have to get these flyers. Like, you know, we should save them for like, you know, when we get real big and we'll show people that we played here. <laughs> and we, we got the flyer and they misspelled the name and it said Highbird. <laughs> and from that day forward, we're like, uh, you know, we should just probably just break up. <laughs> like, Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. That's what it did awful. it. That's oh what did it. That was the, the final straw. Highbird. Um, <laughs> Okay, so yeah. you have you have the flyer debacle. The band breaks up. Yes. <laughs> uh, is the next one that Sector Twelve band, or how many more bands? The next do you one do? is no, nah, that one's Sector Twelve. That one's okay. Sector Twelve. Okay, yeah. got it. Yeah. And did that band last a while? It did. It lasted too long. I feel like it lasted longer than it should have. Okay. You know? And uh, I think it's just because you know. I, I came from a small group of friends. Not a, a lot played guitar or, play, or played music, rather. Uh, it was more like, you know, like, oh, these are my skating buddies. You know, like, we skate together. And it just so happened that a few of the kids um, also played music. And then once you were in the band so much, like, you you stopped skating. At least I did. I stopped skating because I was like, well, I know I'm not really good at skating. I am going to break. <laughs> I'm going to break my face. And if I break my face, I can't fucking play a show. So yeah. I would I would hang out more with my my band buddies than I did my skate buddies, and it was like you know just like four kids. So if you got into a fight with those kids or didn't want to play with those kids anymore, like you didn't have anything else to do, really, you know. Right. And so that's really what happened. I think is uh, we we kept the band going until our friendships dissolved, and sure. and that's kind of how that went, you know, college basically. Yeah. So oh. Throughout high school, into that. Wow! Yeah. Wow! Wow! Like four stopped. years, maybe. I saw um, with the very little information that I saw, like admittedly on Discogs, because all that you could see the, <laughs> is it on there. You see the cassette tape is on there, like a demo. Cassette. Oh wow! And it mentions that you recorded at uh, Nada Recording, which is like yeah, 
still seemingly like a New Jersey legendary studio that everybody kind of goes to. Um, Absolutely. Was that your first time recording? It wasn't my first time recording. Okay. I had done a uh, little like interstitial stuff. I think the timeline is, is fuzzy to me. I think it probably was in between um, hybrid and, and sector 12. I, I had linked back up with a kid that I started my first band with and we had, we had found another drummer and we did some like rec- little recordings here and there. Um, but then with sector 12, yeah, we, we, we raised enough money to go to NADA. And I think that name came about because uh, around that time, Eyeball Records had released the Humble Beginnings uh, EP, and they recorded at NADA, and I okay. loved it. I thought it was a, I thought I loved that record, and uh, I would go see them all the time and pick their brains after shows. Like, you know, like how are you? You know, like how did you get out of state? How did you play Connecticut? How did you? How did you get enough money to record? Where did you record? You know, yeah. Who did you record with? All that stuff. To the point where I'm sure they were fucking way over. <laughs> I'm sure I think Gabe probably still doesn't want to take my calls, just in hopes that I don't ask another fucking question. <laughs> but uh, that was that was the thing. I was just like, I was, I, I think he was nice to me because he could tell how fucking hungry I was, you know. Right. right. Um, but uh, yeah, that was that was that was it. So like, I would take these things. Like, all right, I love this band. I like what they did. I'm gonna do that. So I'm gonna sign the eyeball, and I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna record it in Nada. And the first band, Sector 12, we recorded in Nada, but we didn't get far enough to, to sign anybody. The next band did. So, which is that Pensy Prep band, right? Which is Pensy Prep, yeah. Right. Yeah. And that did that actually have a member or two from Sector 12 or no? Was it all just new people? Well, it's funny. Uh, the One of the members is John McGuire, who is the guy that I met the first day of high school that made me the mixtapes that that named the band Steve Wilde, the disco King. So he played wow. in that band. Yeah. yeah. And then eventually came full circle and, and played in Pensy. Okay. So, I mean, I have to imagine with, with uh Pensy prep, you said, so that would have been like college now, right? Yeah. I was, um, I was 17 when I went into college and then sector 12 broke up. And so I would say I was probably 18 years old. Yeah. I just turned 18. Yeah. I mean, what an exciting time. I mean, you not only, uh, you got to put out a record now on on uh, Eyeball Records, and was yeah. that the first band that you uh, toured with? Yeah, that was okay. the first tour. Yeah, and and and, it- and that was, dude, <laughs> that was crazy. You no, know, like I mean, you know, we're still doing. We're talking about you know atlases and and no cell phones and all that shit. You know, um, so we left and we had booked a show in Minnesota. At Seventh Street Entry. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. That, that, <laughs> okay, yeah. what? okay, hold on. So you're in New Jersey, and you're just like, okay, I got us a show in Minnesota. Now we have to figure it out. <laughs> yeah, well, basically, yeah. So what happened was the other guitar player, his name was Neil. He met a girl that he like fell head over heels for, and uh, and he was like, I'm going to visit her and her family. She lives in Minnesota. Okay, and here we like, go. All right. <laughs> He's like, I booked this a show. So, you know, that the, the the trip makes sense. And we're opening for, I think it was like, oh, God. I think it was like Le Savé Fab or something like that. Like at 7th Street Entry. Yeah. So we were like, oh, fuck. Like, this is huge. Yes, yeah. we have to do this. Yeah. And then we just start calling people and booking shows. And John found us a van. It was an old, like, yellow, like mustard yellow school van. And we piled in it and did like, I think it was like, you know, three weeks or two and a half to three weeks. 
yeah. to Minnesota and back. And, you know, some shows we'd show up and they weren't, you know, they weren't actual shows. <laughs> and then some shows we showed up and it was like, you know, just some kid's room played there. And then finally, we have the LaSavvy Fab show and we wake up, you know, early in the morning. We're going to go drive to the thing and the van just fucking no. let's go and just explodes all over the road. And we couldn't make the show. It was really sucky. It was the worst. No. Yeah. How'd you end up getting home? Uh, borrowing money from relatives to get the van fixed to get us home. Oh, and wow. Then, so you fixed yeah. it. Fixed it to get home. Yeah. Because we had to get the gear home, you know? Yep. I have a lot of stories about just getting to the show, like whatever you got to do to get there. That yeah. was one show that I missed. I think I it scarred me so bad that I never missed another show. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. We made it home, but then the band broke up. directly after that yeah damn okay yeah Yeah. and so i know around that time um like my chemical romance had started and you were aware of them as like you saw them play and all of that so did it was it kind of serendipitous to where like your band was ending and then they needed a guitar player yes and but it was still very sad because like the remnants of pensy we made it home and we tried to like another go of it, you know, like, all right, we'll do like another incarnation of this band. We'll write some new songs and we'll do something. And then as that was going, it was arduous, you know, so the drummer eventually, I think he was just like over it, didn't want to do it anymore. But I was holding on so tight to try to keep it together. And that's when, you know, I met the guys in my chem and they were, they had three songs. Um, they did a demo in their drummer's attic and they were like, the best songs I'd heard of any man coming out of the scene. And I was like, holy shit, like this band is so good. And like, I, they were kids that like, you know, I hadn't really seen touring around or playing around, you know, like they just kind of, yeah. like, it felt like came out of nowhere and just wrote these songs. And so I was like, hands down my, my favorite band that was coming around. And uh, so I said, I was like, listen, you know, we have this practice studio. You, you guys are too good to not practice. <laughs> like, ah. you, you should just, you got to come here and, and we'll hang out and, and you guys can share the room with us. And as my band was ending, they were starting. And I remember, I remember when, when they came to my house one night, it was like really late. And I had this like dead end street by my house. And they're like, yo, uh, come with us. We're going to take, we're going to take a walk. And, and talk to you about something. And I was like, all right, I'm either going to be like at the end of this, like in the band, or they're going to kill me. <laughs> like, they're going to me. <laughs> yeah. It felt like I was like, I, I've been in both situations. I don't know how to read this. <laughs> but, I, but I felt like I could maybe take one or two of them. So <laughs> that was okay. And we, uh, we ended up going for the walk. And they told me, like, you know, they, uh, they, they knew that Pensy was, or whatever that band was at the time. Was, I think we were called I Am a Graveyard, was ending. And, uh, you know, they wanted another guitar player and they thought, you know, it'd be awesome if, if I would join. And I joined the band that night and uh, it was fucking awesome. <laughs> I got to join my favorite band. Yeah. So I, you were singing in Pensy Prep, right? Yeah. yeah. Was there, was there, I, I'm curious from someone who was like, did you play guitar and sing in that band? I did. Okay. Yes. So like, I'm but only because no one else wanted to sing. Like Classic. no one else. Yeah. That was the thing. Okay, so well, I mean, now that now that I know that you just said that, like, did you feel a relief of like, okay, now I just get to play guitar, or or was fuck yeah, okay, fuck okay. yes, yes, okay, like, finally, <laughs> okay, okay, I was gonna yeah. say, I was wondering if you had any sort of like, oh, I'm gonna miss being the singer. 
No, zero aspirations to be a singer ever. Oh, wow. Ever, okay. ever, ever. Yeah. yeah. I want to write, I like to write songs and it, I do get that tinge of like, ugh, like giving a song over to somebody else to sing because yeah. it feels weird sometimes, you know, to do that. But I would much rather not have to be on a microphone and just Got play it. guitar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do feel like also, um, if you listen to, say you listen to like My Chem, right? If you were to listen to those songs, especially like uh, when I'm like, you know, really in the band, like uh, Three Cheers and Black Parade and Danger Days, like if you listen to my guitar parts, they are like an, like a backing vocal a lot of the time. And that's stuff that I've always enjoyed doing is like, is is finding those melodies that support or 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 kind of or fight uh, the vo- the main vocal and yeah. without actually having to do with my voice. <laughs> that's that's always been my thing. Is like, how do I talk and not use yeah. this? You know that I mean yeah. that's that's super interesting. So like, when it comes to the songwriting process with my chem was was a song was the structure usually there by the time you were like going to add to it or cause just cause that comes to mind. Cause it's right. like if, if Gerard had a vocal melody where you're like, okay, well, if you're going to do that, then I'm going to fucking do this. Yeah. That see, that was always a thing for me. I like to write, um, I guess when, when a structure is, is there, especially for my chem, if I know what Gerard's going to do, then it's easier for me to, to, to cement my, my parts. Yeah. Um, as opposed to like kind of just kind of going going for it and, and imagining where he's gonna lay. Yeah. Um but it's weird. It's it's only like that in that band, which is kind of strange. Yeah. Um yeah. Like other other bands it's 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 a lot of, you know, uh nailing down structures and and then kind of letting the singer kind of do his thing on top and then seeing where the things are. Um I, I like to it's I don't know. I don't know if it's like the way that Gerard sings that's it makes it so fun to do that. Um it's it's strange cuz like him and Ray especially the way that their brains work are unlike uh anyone else that I've ever played with. Um the the melodies that they go for and and their um let's see like uh yeah it's just like Gerard can hum something and then ray will go underneath and he makes a choice that's so bizarre that i never would have thought of that it's fun for me to then go on top and then kind of like add another flavor to it's really strange it's a it's it's one of those bands that should not work (laughs) but does it's it's really fucking weird it's really yeah and yeah i i I, for a long time it was one of those things where i i yeah it was hard for me to like to put into words it still is like that band is is an anomaly it it's it's really really strange how that works yeah well i mean i think is when those when when those people come together and find all those different things um and you just you hear it back the first time and you're like i guess this all makes sense it shouldn't make sense but it makes sense and not only does it make sense but it it's it's got an appeal to it um that uh that is far reaching so um i mean whatever whatever you figured out i mean i, I think it worked all right <laughs> thank uh, yeah well yeah thank you i appreciate it so far so good so far so good <laughs> uh, so when you went in to do the um the first record the the i brought you the bullets record um yeah you 
I think I saw that like you had written a couple songs on that, but a lot of that record had maybe already been written. Is that fair? A lot. Yeah. A lot of that had, had been written. I think that was one of the things too, like coming into it. I didn't want to, you know, like, you know, it's hard. Cause like, you know, they're, they're a band and they're writing a record, like their, their, their debut record. And they've asked you to join. So like, what is that like? You know, like do you come in the room and just start fucking take your dick out and start pissing all over everything. Like, yeah, <laughs> like making yeah, the yeah. mark. Or do you like, do you take a step back and kind of see how everything is, like how things are working and, and then, you know, almost like subversively, like get your, put your stuff in there without, you know, stirring it up too much. So yeah. uh, I, you know, I just wanted to, I kind of wanted to take a, a backseat and see what I felt like I could bring and without like, you know, uh, mucking it up too much, you know. Plus, sure. this was the first time I'd ever been in a band with people that I that were essentially were strangers to me. Really, like I didn't know any of these guys really well. I mean, we we met at parties at the Eyeball House, and you know, like we hung out at the studio, but like I didn't know them well. They all had like kind of grown up together. Like, of course, Mikey and Gerard were our brothers, but like they knew Ray and and Matt Otter for a long time. Yeah, you know, I was like the new guy in. So um, it was it was weird. I didn't want to rock the boat too much, but I, I, I also knew that there were some things I could add. So I think there was three songs that we all wrote fully together, but the rest were just kind of me like, um, you know, all right, what do you what do you want on this song? Let me see what I can do. Right. You know? How how much did you know Jeff Rickley at that point? Did you know him at all? Um, I knew him from the Eyeball House and. Uh, you know, from going to shows at that point too, like Thursday was on everything. Right. So right. like every show in Jersey that you went to, that was worth going to Thursday was playing. And so I knew of course from that and then, you know, met him and became friendly with him at the eyeball house, but going up to like, to Nada with him, that was like, you know, he, I, he, I card pulled with him. So like the first time that we actually hung out like alone and like got to know each other was in the car on the way to the studio. And, yeah. Uh, and so it was, it was awkward, you know, but like really fun. Like I got to pick his brain as well. And like, you know, that was, that. I remember that the first trip up there was like the first time I had ever heard Shredder to think. And like, you know, like we just started talking about bands and, and, uh, you know, we shared a love for Ink and Dagger and stuff like that. And, um, yeah, we you know, hit it off, but it, like, but it was still weird. Like, I still felt like, you know, like, oh my God, like, I love your band, but I don't want to be a fucking nerd. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Right. Like, so yeah. Was it hard to ever have any like pushback with maybe an idea he brought or something that's that someone else in the band was like, what if you did this? Like was because you were so fresh in the band, was it was it hard to sort of navigate that or were you pretty open minded? I was I was I feel really open minded, especially at that point, because it was, you know, it, it was all new territory. Yeah. Um, but I don't remember there being much uh, that Jeff had suggested or, or brought up that was, you know, denied or, or a touchy subject. I think we all collectively looked to Jeff to, to, you know, like whatever he said was, was probably a good, good idea. Yeah. We chased it, it, you know? It, and, you know, it's funny, like it, it kind of goes back to even the start of this conversation when we were talking about, you know, like if you saw Kurt Cobain's approval on it, you were like, well, I should probably check yeah. that out. And exactly. so I'm working in, Burbank, you know, I'm from Burbank, California. I'm working at a record store in 2001. And it's funny also, by the way, for just like how much time moved at such a different pace. That's also gets brought up a lot in this, in this mm -hmm. show where it's like, <laughs> I, rem I mean, Thursday in 2001 becomes, you know, my favorite band in the entire world. 
And then in my brain, if you were to be like, when did that first My Chem record come out? I'd be probably be like, I don't know, maybe like 2004. But you're like, no, that was 2002. That was one year later. It's weird, right? Yeah. And, and I was working at that shop and I was the buyer for like all of that stuff. Um, I think Lumberjack Distribution was the the direct... Uh, was like direct for eyeball records so i, I would right. get all, i would get all the one sheets from them and everything like that so when i got the one sheet for that first record and i saw produced by jeff rickley i was like well i have to <laughs> i have to hear this you know what i'm saying exactly yeah and so i remember buying that cd and you know definitely not fully grasping what was all happening because i feel like there was so much happening on that record uh, but the yeah. vampire song i remember being like damn this is a hit like i i fuck, I fuck with this song hard and uh and then I, that's awesome i'm wondering how much longer after that record coming out did you guys come on tour with american nightmare because i saw you at the troubadour oh you was did like, yeah was that like 2003 wow. probably i i guess so yeah break is like because three cheers comes out 2004 i guess yeah yeah, I that was a crazy. That was like, I guess one of our first tours out west. You know what okay. I mean? Like, yeah, because we had done touring. Our I think our first like big tour was uh, with North Star, and then we ended up getting a tour with um, uh, that Christian hardcore band. Um, oh, Under Oath. Under Oath. Yes. Yeah. So we did like East Coast stuff with them, and I think the first time we made it out west was we got a piebald tour. Okay. And then American Nightmare came shortly after that. And I remember that being like, oh boy, we're going to eat shit. Uh, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, like Wes and all those dudes are, were always super fucking rad to us. I think, you know, Wes always had like, you know, great sensibilities about music too. Like, you know, we, we wrote out and just talk about like Britpop and, and just bullshit like that. Like he loves music. I yeah. felt like, and of course, like the Every Time I Die guys were always really nice to us. And oh stuff fuck, too. they were on we that too. Them. They were. Yeah. But, then you know there was like other bands that were very not cool with us being there <laughs> that were like you guys aren't yeah aren't tough enough you know so they they would get up on stage and like not say our names or like, you uh. know, like just kind of be shitty about it in like a weird way and that's all right i mean like hey we we got it like you know we we yeah. understand like you know that it, we don't belong here <laughs> right but, but that was the thing was we kind of felt like we didn't belong anywhere Right. So we just took whatever tours came in, especially if it was like with a band that we really loved, like American Nightmare. You know? Yeah. So like there was never in our heads like, oh, shit, that's probably a bad idea. It yeah. Was like, it was, yeah, we oh. just swung for the fences on everything. Help me out real quick. Who was the other band on that tour? Was it Fairweather? Was it The Bled? No, it- no, no. It was uh, Suicide File. Oh, fuck. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Fairweather was always super nice to us. I love them. Those yeah, are, they're they're really dude, good dudes. Okay, yeah. okay, that yes, now I remember completely because yeah. that, that's where I also went to Chain Reaction, I think. Oh um, yes, and somebody shit their pants in the <laughs> fucking pit. I'll never <laughs> forget that, dude. Because all right, Chain Reaction, I love playing Chain Reaction, but it's sweltering on the best day. But yeah. when someone shits, yes. like, and it's mashed all over the fucking place. I, I think the person too was wearing like a pair of Jenkos or something because it like yeah. fucking dude, it just mashed everywhere. At that place was should have been 
condemned after yeah. that fucking show. Yeah. It was well, let's awful. be honest. I, I kind of feel like whether you shit your pants at Chain Reaction or you shit your pants at, tar- <laughs> at Target, everyone knows within within a hundred feet. <laughs> um, I mean, I've never shit my pants at Target, but I imagine you're probably right. <laughs> you haven't lived, my friend. Um, so, so uh, with you know, it's funny with with click. I mean, we can jump ahead a little bit with like clicking around and like looking at stuff. There's something that I got psyched when I when I noticed is um i'm a big fan of when someone in a position like you guys were in uh you know you're on a major label you're doing a record with like howard benson who's like this you know like big time rock producer at that time and, and all that sort of stuff like but you got keith morris to do a little part on the record and then like yeah. I know, and I, when i was clicking around i mean this is skipping way ahead but i saw in danger days it had todd youth mentioned as like being something uh, a part of it you know the late todd youth obviously but like what did what did Todd do on that record? Todd was my guitar tech. He t- he teched for us on that record and told us amazing dancing stories. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it was, yeah. Like how insane is that? I mean, like you He's know, great, man. the start of this conversation, you're talking about, you know, how much of an influence black flag was. And then you get Keith yeah. Morris to do a part on the record. Um, that's that, insane. It was crazy. I, the first time we met Keith though, was he, he found out about our pan and came to see us at CMJ. <laughs> And he, uh, you know, he he was working for uh, for V two, I think. Oh, that's for, right. He was a like, while, right? Was he A and R for them? A and R, yeah. Oh, interesting. So he came out to see us uh, based on that, and I think at that point we weren't really like thinking about signing with anybody. We we're still on eyeball. We we're just doing, you know, doing our thing. Yeah. But we we're. I loved Keith, and of course, you know, like Circle Jerks, Black Flag. I mean, like, you know, yeah, it was just amazing seeing him and getting to meet him. And yeah. then when we went out to L.A. years later to record uh, with that Howard Benson record, I saw him in a fucking gas station. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God, this is fucking Keith Morris. So I may have not been sober. <laughs> so, <laughs> so my excitement was probably not as well hidden as I thought it was. Yeah. And I cornered him like in the aisle. Yeah. And I was like. Keith, oh my god, I can't believe we're here. I'm here too. We're recording this record. You have to come. You have to come and record on the record. Yeah, I, w- I won't do the record unless you're on the record. And it was like this fucking thing to the point where he like, just to get away from me, he like gave me his phone number, I think. Uh, that's incredible. Yeah. That's incredible. And uh, yeah, we struck a deal. I said that I would buy him uh, Chinese food and he would come <laughs> and sing on the record. And uh, it was awesome. He was amazing. I uh, that's him. He's the that's best. Super- that's super super cool. Um, yeah. I, I love that. And um, I mean, that makes sense too because I feel like that time was like I, remember, I think like Blood Brothers was on V two. That was like around that oh, era. Dude. So like that all makes that that all translates for like why they'd be looking for bands of a more sort of aggressive Possibly. nature. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got just a sidebar. I got to tell you, there's a we're on tour and we're in Europe. I got lost in Spain, Barcelona. Yeah, and. I had a CD Walkman, like disc player, disc yeah. player, and I had Burn Piano Island Burn on me. That's the only thing I had. And I got lost for like five and a half hours walking oh my around God. Barcelona listening to that record. And it was the greatest day at, of my life up to that point. It was amazing. Holy was, shit. I, I love yeah. that band. Yeah. Shout out to, Co- shout out to Cody. Hi. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cody. I just, it's funny. I was just at a, I just wanted to go see Thursday and, uh, it was in such a, I'm so happy for them. It was like such a packed out show. Um, but mm-hmm. Cody walked by 
And I was, it was one of those things where I had my mask on. It was super hot, super loud. You know that, you know, the moments that we have now where it's like, oh, should I should go say hi to Cody? Then I was like, <laughs> this is, I'm so uncomfortable right now. I, it's going to be too hard <laughs> to even have a conversation with him. Exactly. I, I'll yeah. text him later. Uh, and yeah. also, I, I should go shout loud breath into my own face. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Hears me. yeah. Uh, also, shout out uh, Ross Robinson, who we're, we're going to uh, probably, we'll probably get to in a little bit. But, uh, but yeah, I, isn't I'm excited. he the fucking best, man? He's the best. He is truly one of a kind. He is the best. One of a kind. Absolutely one of a kind. kind. Absolutely one of a kind. I learned so much from him. I I love him so much. I'll talk to you about him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. um, So then you do Black Parade with uh, Rob Kavala, which is crazy. Were you guys like big Jawbreaker fans? Yes. Yes. Yeah, that was that, of course, is the that's the big credit, right? Right. Um, They're like, yeah, he did Dookie awesome you know i grew yeah. up listening to that but he did dear you so yeah that's why we're <laughs> so we're, we're going here to do a record yeah and it's funny too because i'm sure there's like at the time the major label people were like no but he also did these other really big successful <laughs> pop records but you're like no 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 but we like him because he did dear you yeah yeah that was yeah <laughs> exactly uh, what happened we're like oh yeah. yeah all right cool we're taking your consideration <laughs> yeah um sure how so with a record like i mean this is me just total fly on it or like fly on the wall question but like you know i'm assuming you did uh the the bullets record for like in like a very short amount of time probably like two weeks or something like that i think and it was nine days yeah. nine days okay that makes sense and then three chairs i'm curious how long you were in the studio for that record i am too um well so like- i know we're at bay seven is where we did it and that was like the first major recording studio we ever went to. Yeah. Um, we did pre-production on that record, which means, which makes it feel like it was longer, you know? Right. So right. we were at a practice studio out in LA for a while, maybe I'm going to say two weeks of that. Yeah. And then, I don't know, maybe we had a month. Okay. That okay. sounds like a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe a month. Well, I guess before I even get to the question I'm going to ask you, which is, uh, which I'll do in a sec, but like, what was that like for you coming all of a sudden being like, wow, we're a band from New Jersey now. I guess we get to go live in LA for, for seven or eight weeks to go make this record. Was that just like, was it, was it, was it not lost on you? How crazy that was? Or like, what do you think? It was not lost. Reflecting back, (laughs) like reflecting back on that now, like, how do you feel? You know, what do you remember from that? I remember that. All right, listen, I love, I like to come back and visit uh, LA a lot. I think it's nice. Like I have friends there and there's a lot of things I remember that are fun to do. And the food there is great. The weather's great. Um, But LA is a different place at like early twenties with no responsibility and a love of adventure than it is than you are now. You know what I mean? So at that time in your life, it was just a playground, man. And we tried to get into like the most trouble we could possibly get into. You know what I mean? <laughs> and LA, LA has a lot of it. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, dude. It's <laughs> all yeah. of it. For sure. Yeah. For sure. I mean, what it a was, coming, coming of age time was, for, for, a, for a young man um, with the, the world on his fingertips. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, I feel like, again, this is, this is me um, projecting maybe a little bit here, but like, I would have to assume you signed to a major label. Uh, they're hoping it goes well and it ends up, it ends up going well. So then you have the follow-up to that record. What kind of 
added pressure? How much longer were you in the studio? Like for all of that, for the black parade, like what did you feel that immense amount? And also major label that time, I'm sure there's a lot of changing of staff members and all that sort of stuff. Like, yeah. um, yeah. What do you remember from that? Well, I, I, so I remember on three cheers, uh, not okay. Did really well. And, and then they were like, I remember having this, this meeting and they were like, we're going to do a second single. We think it should be Helena. And we're like, cool. We think it's, we think it should be Helena too. And, uh, and then they went to, to radio or they did whatever they did at that time with it. And I remember having a secondary meeting and they were like, things aren't going the way that we hoped that they would. And we were like, I remember, I remember all of us being like, we think it's awesome. (laughs) You know, like we we didn't think this was going to last anyway. So like, thank you guys so much. Like it was like, kind of like, sorry's, but thank you. Like walking out the door. And then two weeks later, they brought us in. They're like, you're never going to believe this. It's going way better than we thought. And we're like, okay. (laughs) Like it was, it was just really strange to us, you know, because we're, we're the type of band that always just kind of kept our heads down. Like, we never did that thing where like we patted ourselves on the back or anything. It was always like, all right, keep your head down, tour, and the shows got bigger and stuff like that. But we didn't really ever like take that step back and realize what was going on around us. You know, uh, we just knew we were having a fucking like all our dreams were coming true. It was like the time of our lives, and yeah. we didn't really gauge our success by like anything that I guess you know the other like people in the industry gauge success by. It was, hey, we we get to do this, you know. Right. Uh, so then going into uh, Black Parade, I think for us, it was like, yeah, there's a lot of pressure. A lot of people like are concerned, you know, because it's the sophomore thing. But we were under, we were under the impression that everyone was going to hate that record anyway. Like it's like your sophomore major label record. Like no one's supposed yeah. to like it. Yeah. So we're like, OK, so if we're going to go and make a record. And everyone's going to fucking hate it regardless. We're going to lose all our fans. Like, let's make the most craziest batshit record that we could possibly make. And that was that was really our mindset was like, all right, get into the bubble. Don't listen to fucking anybody. Make all the wrong decisions, the ones that, you know, we always wanted to make that no one could tell us not to because this is it. Like, we, we <laughs> the working title of the record was The Rise and Fall of My Chemical Romance. We were planning on, like... We're now we're getting really big. Now we're gonna make this record, and everyone's gonna fucking hate us, and and that's it. Yeah. So like, that's that's where our heads were. So I think the pressure inside was like, all right, make the best thing you can because this is your last chance to do it. Wow. Yeah, that's. Impre- yeah. I mean, <laughs> I wonder how much you translated that to the label. Where you're like, no, we're gonna go try to. <laughs> you don't want to ever say that to the label. <laughs> you're like, like, yeah. <laughs> like we're hoping we fail. We we're hoping we fail upwards, but um, but we're not gonna make it easy on you at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. But that's the thing, right? Like, all right, you you thought you were getting this band, but now you got this like fucking crazy rock opera. You know, yeah. with, like really long songs. Like, is there a single on there? I don't know. It all works together, but you have to pick something out. You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, I think I think they were scared, but. I think what bolstered our confidence was Rob Cavallo and, and, and uh, Doug McKean, who was the engineer uh, working at like, we were like, we didn't see anybody else. We just, we didn't leave that studio for however long it took us. So we, we loved it and they loved it. Like we felt like we were impressing each other every time we yeah. like went in, in there. So like, we just felt like, fuck man, we got to make this. Like it, it felt like a higher power, like a higher purpose than you know hitting some sort of arbitrary number that like a a guy with a pencil is is trying to 
trying to get you to hit. Did you record that in LA as well? Yeah, we did. Okay, what studio was yeah. that? Um, El Rancho something or other. Okay. Um, it's it's a little blue like purple building, or was back then yeah. by like by a mall. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Very. <laughs> I don't un- know if that narrows it down. Yeah. But um. Yeah, the, I feel like all the biggest studios in LA are very unassuming. Like you would never it's know. It's very unassuming. Yeah, and yeah. It, like the outside is just covered in fucking black widow spiders. Like yeah. <laughs> it was like an empty lot and like Spider Central, and then this fucking little purple building. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, and I know you guys like took off first in the UK, like mostly, right? Like that's kind of where the the love really first started to grow. Um, yeah. Was that a trip for you getting to go overseas for the first time? Yes, it was. I I will say this though, as a younger person, I've never been about like travel. Yeah. Cuz and I think it's also because I've never really traveled to travel. I've always it's always been like a necessary evil to get me to a show. And I don't like, you know, what I mean like so like the natural hassles of like just travel that seem endearing when you're just going to experience stuff. Yeah. Uh, don't sa- seem endearing when you're like, just let me fucking carry my guitar and and go play this fucking show. Like seriously, like <laughs> you know what I mean. So I was, I just felt very inconvenienced by the I, uh, the travel aspect. <laughs> for, for for listeners at home that you know never had any interest in playing in bands, um, I need to inform you that the amount of years taken off the life of every band from oh. whether entering or exiting Canada or for uh just checking guitars um and carrying merch or (laughs) sneaking duffel bagged merch over uh, all of that sort of stuff all of that stuff uh you know it's it's (laughs) it definitely i think it was i think it was a big part of uh me losing my hair which now i have a shaved head because of i I think all of that played a role um in where i I certainly am today Yeah, I'm telling you, this is a wig because you know how many times I risked going to jail for many years to get a goddamn T-shirt across the border. Like, yeah, it's like it's so silly, man. So, uh, I mean, we don't have to get into like you know my cam breaking up and all that sort of stuff, but we can we can now hop over to uh, to um, you doing solo stuff. Um, okay. So uh, I saw it's I was excited to like look at again like who um who played on these records with you and like who you did them with and stuff because um you know i i I, it's fun to find common ground with people like i mentioned you know like i like that you did these things with like keith and uh you worked with todd youth and and uh Mm -hmm. then you know you you had jared alexander playing drums uh for my chem towards the end and then he played on the on that yeah first solo record uh wait listen to this real quick jared was in Suicide, Suicide File on that fucking tour. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I, he, I, he was the one that was nice to us. <laughs> okay. Was Niraj on that tour? No. Okay, no. I, was, I, was gonna... I guess, yeah, he filled in on that tour. Okay. And of course, Jared also played on the American Nightmare, like played on background music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just saying, because yeah. I played a band with uh, with Niraj, who was in Suicide File, but Niraj is like, I could not imagine that guy being, being anything other than just <laughs> like the sweetest person. So that, yeah, that makes sense. Gotcha. <laughs> um, so what uh, what I'm curious of uh, is, um, so, wait, who did you who did you record that first record with? That I basically did by myself with my friend Eddie. Okay. Uh, I'll let it at, at his studio. Yeah. So we did all did the drums at his studio and I did the rest of my basement. Okay. And 
was uh did you start working on that record while my chem was still active i think i wrote the riff for uh prettiest girl at the party okay while my chem was still active okay and that was it yeah Yeah. so when my chem split were you i'm impressed that you were so quick to want to hop right back into to making music you know what i'm saying like like some people might might just want to remove themselves from that situation you know whatever whatever it could have been that that uh you know like it it sometimes makes people want to just step away so i you know looking at that absolutely seeing how quick it it came out and like you were working on and stuff like that was was awesome to see um was that like a good outlet for you to deal with the breakup of that band like to work on this thing definitely but i feel like also the timeline gets weird because like my cam I don't know when we announced the breakup, but it felt over for like months prior. Okay. You know what I mean? And so I had done, I was working on um, a project with James DeWeese called Death Spells. And we did a little bit of touring on that. And that was being written as Mike M was breaking up in LA. Oh, okay. And then came home, finished working on that, did some touring with it. And then James was under contract to do another Reggie record. So he's like, all right, I got to, I got to work on this for a little bit. You know, like let's take a pause. I was like, okay. And then that pause, I just, I don't know. You know, you hit like those creative spurts and just start, you can't not write a song. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I just had that. So I just started writing on these songs. I had no idea what the fuck it was. I was just waiting for James to be free. Yeah. And that was around the time that Matt Galley hit me up. Who's, who's been the booking agent forever. Um, he's like, hey, what are you up to? Like, what are you doing? And I just sent him all those songs. And he sent it to some people. And before I knew it, that was a project. And then James had to wait for me to be ready. Who put out that record? I I, I don't think I recognize the label. What was it? Staple? Or so, so that's Staple. So yeah. that was um, the A&R from Vagrant, right? Um, he... He heard the demo and loved it so much that he wanted to put it on. He had gotten an imprint uh, oh. called, and he had like a, it was like a weird two prong um, imprint. It was called Dark Horse, and there was a and Staple was a portion of that, and I think there was like a real metal version too under Workhorse, which was the umbrella of his. It sounds familiar. I, I don't know how it worked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's really weird how it worked, but he he loved it. And and he was the first one that ever contacted me to be like, hey, you know, like we should do a record. And um, I was like, I never thought about that. Okay, um, yeah. what's that entail? You know, and and I liked that it was you know going through Vagrant that it was going to be independent and that uh, you know I didn't feel like I wanted like a large pressure of like a, a big label or anything like that. He understood that I just. I had made these recordings by myself and I had no intention of ever re-recording them to like sound good or anything like that. Like I was like, I made these songs like that. It, I wanted it to feel like the li- you're like listening in on someone making these songs as opposed to like listening to a record. Yeah. And, and he got that and, and wanted to make the record the way I saw it, you know? And so it made sense to me. Right. Right. Um, how was it? You know, I know you had the you have the the hardcore band that you were doing there, like in between all. All oh, right, stuff, yeah, right? I did love mouth, yeah, yeah. But, but like, you know, this is obviously a different style of band. Um, how is it getting back to singing in a in a band like this? Ah, oh, so weird, yeah. so weird. Yeah, to the point. I, 
I think there's only one way that that record and this, like, I guess, portion, if you want to call it my career, like, portion of my career could have started was I had to have done that by myself in my room because at that point, like, I couldn't say. I had no idea what I was doing. I was just like, you know, like, all right, maybe if I do three more vocal tracks on top of this awful one, like, it'll sound in tune. Like, that kind of thing, you know what I mean? Like, fuddling through and just, like, I mean, I I feel terrible for, uh, you know, for who I gave that record to to mix. Like, <laughs> Ed Rose did an amazing job. Thank God. I love Ed Rose so much. Oh, shit. But I didn't know. That might have been. I didn't yeah, know. Ed Rose did it. I, 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 all right. So this is weird. I love Ed, and I love the records that Ed made with Ghetto Kids and stuff like that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he was always on my radar. And then when I went down to, um, I went down to Kansas City to work with uh, the, the guys in the Architects. They were doing some stuff, and, and I filled in on bass for them for a couple of shows. While I was down there, I convinced Ed to go out to, to lunch with me, and I gave him the record, and I was like, please help me make this record. Like, I have a record deal right now, and it's I can't mix it by myself. Like, I didn't know what I was doing. I made so a you had it. So <laughs> you had it recorded. You just needed it to be mixed. I needed it to be mixed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, I had all these files. I, I liked the way it sounded. I just needed it to, like, you know, actually get everything across yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the finish line, basically. And so Ed, I think that might have been the last record that Ed mixed because he was like, you know, I'm going to do some other stuff. With my life. He, he, I can, <laughs> I can tell you that he got, I think, uh, bullied into mixing the latest. Did he do another one? It, the latest Casket Lottery record because they're all old friends. Oh, oh that's awesome! But, that's but awesome. We, yeah, because Touche did Parting the Sea with him. And okay. Oh, awesome! Yeah, we did that in five days. We did it live. Wow! And it was. Uh, it was intense. I mean, you, I mean, we could probably both speak openly that like Ed is the best, but he could also be a little. He's amazing. He could be a little gruff. <laughs> he could be a little <laughs> if he's stressed out. So yeah, yeah. I mean, we had such a good time with him. But uh, and every time we go to Kansas, we always try to hit him up to to say hi nice. or you know that kind of a thing. <laughs> but that's cool. You worked with him. Um, uh, and he, and he it took, was and he took it on. Yeah, and he took it on. I I think. I think he felt sorry for me because I was in such a, like a time right there. Yeah, I, was, I I think he noticed how like, um, I guess how vulnerable I was. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I was like, I'm, I I like these songs. I never thought people were going to hear them, but now I know people are going to hear them. So I need to mix it better. You yeah. know? Yeah. And he was like, okay, let's let's yeah. let's do this. And and he did a fantastic job. On it. I mean, I still stand by. I think um, I don't know if were you a Cask Lottery fan at all. Um, yes because survival is for cowards i think is like one of the best sounding Fuck, records man. like i i tell people all the time like like if you if you want to hear perfect production just check out the drums <laughs> the, the drum sound on that it's insane that's what made us it's, go to him for sure dude like, really oh yeah. that's awesome i love that you did a, the next record with ross and then you did records with steve albini so like for me yeah. for me that's like i i can appreciate someone who's like i want to work with people that put out records that that changed my life. Cause obviously Steve Albini did Nirvana records and Pixies records and things like that. Uh, Ross obviously did the blood brothers record. Um, just, just for my own excitement. Um, what was your first, like, were you with working with Ross? Um, did you go in intimidated? Cause you knew the lore. Of course. Yeah. You hear the lore and you're like, Oh man, you know, like I've always been like, cause Ross's name would always come up like yeah. when speaking in my chem. And we were always like, ah, <laughs> like you hear these fucking crazy stories. So, you know, to undertake that, you know, like, I don't know if I'm ready for that. But I was at a point 
where you know the the scary stuff is what is what excited me the most like i want to do the shit that scares the fuck out of me and that's where i get the most stuff because i put out a record that i made in my basement that i didn't think anyone was ever going to hear and started a new chapter in my life so i need to do things that i think are scary yeah and you know and ross just seemed like an unattainable thing but um i started working with uh, my manager paul clegg and he's you know, Paul is one of my favorite people in the world because Paul never says no to me. When I come up with like an answer, he's always like, all right, let's figure out how we can do it. And, um, and I love that because I think, I think that should be the answer. It should never be no. It should right. be, let's see what we can do. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and so we, we contacted Ross. He was into the idea of making a record together. He had some time and it was the quickest, most incredible and and like invigorating yet debilitating 15 days of my entire life you did it in 15 days wow oh yeah 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 oh yeah yeah so did you have your full because i saw steve evitz played on it which is crazy steve evitz played bass yeah Yeah, he was so so evitz was only supposed to he was supposed to um engineer the record yeah and and we didn't have a bass player so i was gonna play bass and for the live stuff, uh, Ross was like, you know, Steve's like an incredible bass player. And he's an incredible fucking bass player. I believe I it. I was like, no, I didn't know that. I was like, oh, well, like, you want to just like play it so you can like track these things live? Like, and then I'll go back and do it. And he was like, yeah, I guess I could do that. And then he fucking shredded it so hard that I was like, I, I'm not redoing these parts, yeah. dude. Like, you're now playing on the record if that's cool with you. He's like, yeah, I can do that. It's He's funny too because Ross and Steve have such a inter- interesting, hilarious relationship to where like yes, they, they, I I feel because Steve mixed our record, so oh yeah, yeah. So like being He's amazing, being a fly on the wall for their relationship throughout that process was super funny. Um, but so, um, I mean, were you doing? Because you you said you played all the instruments. Did you play drums on the record? Who you me? Yeah, I I played drums on the first record, a couple of tracks, and then Jared played drums on the other tracks. What for on the, the second record for the patients? Record. The last record, yeah, yeah, that would be Matt Olson. Okay. Matt Olson played drums on that. Okay, yeah. so were, so were you doing the thing where you had to all get in a room and read everyone the lyrics yep. and and all of that? Yeah, and everybody cries. Yeah, <laughs> dude, <laughs> it was so fucked up. I cried every day, every single day, yeah. multiple times a day. Yeah, damn. Damn. I had he had me so hard. I had uh I had to get two cortisone shots to finish the record because I blew my voice out the first two days trying to scream over the drums into like a fucking microphone that looked like he had used it to like scrape like excess skin off someone's feet. Like Oh my god. <laughs> there was oh shit god. stuck in that fucking oh, it was so gross. But yeah, like we're in that that in the um in the, the grotto. Okay. I don't know if you recorded at his house. No, we did did it at a different spot, but yeah. Okay. So this is when he still had the house on on the beach. And uh, and we did it in that that grotto. And oh my God, dude, he put me through the ringer. Like he really did. But it was, it was great. Like I found out more about myself as, as a songwriter, as an artist, as a musician, but also as like a human being more so in those 15 days than I ever did doing anything else over years. And so much so that we still like I. He's the only guy like that I made records with that I still, you know, will talk to and and hit up on text and like, you know, if I'm out in LA, like, just, do you want to go to lunch? Like anything? Like, you know, can I hang out with you and 
yeah. and see Carl. Like, I just want to see Carl. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I love him so much. Like, he really made, like, such an impression on me. And, yeah. and I, his advice, like, it rings true on a daily basis. It's crazy. Yeah. Never met anybody like him. All the things that I went into that record nervous about, he had such a calming way of mm-hmm. of just tackling it. I remember right out the gate, like when we first were starting, we we're like, we we're like, we're, what song do we start with? And we're like, uh, well, let's start with a song that you know we feel the most confident about. He's like, no, what's the one that you feel the worst about? And we're like, <laughs> like this song. It was it was reminders. We're like, oh we're wow, like, we're like this song. And he was just like. We're like, you sure you want to start there? Like the vibe can be really bad. And he was like, no, man, let's start there because then the vibe's only going to get better as the record goes on. We're like, God damn it. There you go. <laughs> like he's, yeah, he's, he's seriously, seriously one of a kind. And of all the things I took away from working with him, and I'm sure you can attest to this, we're having like 12 to 15 hour days with him. I didn't see yeah. him. I didn't see him look at his phone once. No. Like, he was present. He's in it every moment with there was never a lack of an idea, a lack of a uh, excitement, a a lack of like encouragement. It was just nonstop. So, I mean, we've already we've already said, like, whenever we get around to doing an X record, we're like, we're we're going to go back to Ross. Uh, You know, he's amazing. He's he's, you know, that's the thing, too, is like not not no waning in, in energy or excitement. But also, he had already done probably like a 15-mile bike ride in the morning before he even <laughs> fucking saw you. Yes. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. like, how the fuck you going to end? I don't know. I have no idea how he does it. Yeah. I have no well, idea. His caffeine intake was pretty shocking. At some oh, point. yeah. There's that. Yeah, there's that. There's that. Um, he was just doing that, like, coconut fucking uh, brain stuff that he puts in his coffee too oh yeah he was doing no? that uh, you yeah. know he, he yeah. was but then but uh he he gets that one drink that's like like four espressos within like a, a cold brew or something like that some <laughs> some shocking amount um yeah well, well fuck, man, let me hit you I, first i mean i gotta say I could, we could probably do this for hours and hours but oh um, yeah I, i'm having such i can't believe time. we've already done it for an hour and a half that's crazy i know i know um well i mean if there's more to talk about at some point maybe i'll drag you back on here if you got time for me <laughs> You will not have to drag. I already have Chrome on my computer now. All right. Yeah. Um, well, then let me hit you with the last question for today, which is uh, right. when was the first time you felt like you were doing the thing you'd been working so hard towards? Man, it, it's it's funny because I feel like I've had multiple moments of that. You know, like the first the first show ever playing, right, was huge. The first big show I ever played was my cam got offered – to fill in for COVID in Cambria on um, a show with uh, with Jimmy World and Juliana Theory at the Allentown Fair in Pennsylvania, and it was like the first time we played to like you know like a couple thousand people, and I remember being so scared, closing my eyes like really really tight, and we're playing a song called uh, Head First for Halos, and as I opened my eyes, the entire crowd was like bouncing, and I remember like being like. That's it. I'm good. <laughs> I. That's it. I. That's, I don't need to do anything else ever again. This is. Uh, but. But if I have to do anything else ever again, it's got to be this. Like I'm. This is. This is what I'm put here for. And then I, I remember it was, dude. Uh, I'll never forget. Like you know like those moments you'll never ever forget. Ever. No. Yeah. Yeah. I remember uh, recording with uh, with Mike Plotnikoff, who was the engineer for Howard Manson. And we went into Helena, and I played my my guitar parts for the uh, the chorus of that song. 
And I remember them hitting the space bar and Plotnikov like looking at me going, damn, that's a fucking chorus. And I remember being like, yes, I impressed like I impressed the guy, you know, that's recorded, that's recorded all these records that all right, I think I got a chance. You know what I mean? Like those types of moments you just never forget. Yeah. Oh, uh, uh, I mean, <laughs> Does that, uh, here's the thing. Not, it's the validation, not, right? Yeah. Because yeah. as an artist, all I all I've ever wanted, and I'm sure and this is usually rings true with people that I speak to, is like all you ever want to know is that you're not crazy. You know what I mean? Like if if you can be told like, hey, listen, everything's gonna be all right and you're not crazy, keep doing it. That's all you need. Because yeah. I go through the, like you go through life like so scared that you're working so hard at something and, and you're gonna turn it in and be people are gonna be like what the fuck is this? This you're crazy. Like this doesn't make any sense. This isn't good. Like that's the biggest fear. So when somebody validates all the work that you put in, all the you know the things that you sacrifice to do the thing that you love, that you you know that you see on TV, that you see your dad do, and that you know that you feel like you've been put on this earth to do, that they validate you that you're not crazy. That's the greatest. Damn. And I got to say, not to, yeah, I've done my best not to blow smoke up your ass, but uh, the chorus in, in Helena is, is, I think it's arguably the best, like, like rock chorus that's been on the radio and MTV and all that sort of stuff, like uh-huh. of the last 22 years. So good job with that. Thank you, man. Uh, I appreciate that. Thank all you. All right. This has been a blast. I hope you have a good rest of your day. <laughs> ah, you too, man. Thank you so much. Have a good one. And that is our show. Thank you so much to Frank for coming on and thank you for listening. Don't forget, there's a bonus episode available right now over on the Patreon. Hit up patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon where you can subscribe for that and tons of other really cool stuff, I promise. Also, if you haven't subscribed to the show on Spotify, Apple, wherever you're listening to it, I would really appreciate it. Leaving a positive rating and review also helps a lot. All right, I will see you on Monday with a brand new radio hour. Take care. Bye-bye.